Hello and welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by four millennial and Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. Saturday, September 29th, 2018. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. And it was quite a week. We say that every week, but this week was especially difficult. Yes. Uh, a lot. So much happened, and we, well, one half of us, being Rachel, was involved in some direct political action not related to all the Kavanaugh Washington shit. Yep. And we'll probably start with that. I think uh, so. So this is way, way off topic, but trust me, it's really interesting and worth listening to. So So I know we have Kavanaugh, and we have to talk about that. And we'll and we're talk plenty about it. to yeah. talk about it, and we're going to yell and scream and burn the building down, but... <clears throat> um, during the really like 48 hours that uh, Dr. Ford and Kavanaugh were testifying um, before the Senate, I was in North Dakota. Um, and I was there because I think we've talked before about <clears throat> um, the legal work that I help with. Oh, you um, weren't there for vacation? <laughs> you don't go to Bismarck for vacation. <laughs> it's the worst place on earth. Um, so... You guys remember Standing Rock, I certainly hope, um, and the the great sort of struggle that was between mm-hmm. the indigenous people and the, the state and the oil company. The pipeline. The pipeline. The water rights. Right. No DAPL, all that stuff, right? Um, if not, look it up don't remember, yourself. Like, it's important. It's important. Um, and it's personal uh, for me and for us. Um, can can I stop for a second? Just interject. Like it really didn't get the coverage it would have normally gotten because of the. This was all during the presidential race, mm-hmm. so it was what 2015, 2016? 2016. 2016. So it got a little smattering of coverage, but really just oh, you know, just lost in the election coverage, understandably, but unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so in case you don't know, just a brief, right. Um, there's a pipeline that was being built from Canada into the United States and through a thing, this oil pipeline. And one of the places that the pipeline had been scheduled to go through was through um, an Indian reservation uh, in South Dakota. Um, Pine Ridge is the name of the reservation. Um, Standing Rock is the... Um, <sighs> Anyway, uh, the 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 indigenous people who live there are Lakota Sioux, um, and the so they were protesting this pipeline because there's a river um, that the pipeline would be required to um, drill under, essentially um, under this river through this um, sacred space. Um, and and out to go and continue on down and, and then to have it go wherever it ends up. Um, and the Lakota people were really opposed to that because, as we know, oil pipelines leak mm-hmm. and they burst. Mm-hmm. And the process of doing so is really disruptive. Just building it in general and, and running it generally is really disruptive and is really... Um, toxic and they were concerned about the water specifically um, because the river that is in question is a resource that these 
the Lakota use um, for fishing and water and all sorts of things. And so they refer to themselves, and I refer to them as the water protectors, right? Mm -hmm. So they built these camps um, up in the Pine Ridge Reservation to protest and to try to stop uh, this oil company from being able to destroy their sacred lands um, and to prevent them from building this pipeline into this river, the river which is the source of life in many ways for this population. Um, That camp and that protest um, was really large and people from all over the world came. Um, Indigenous peoples um, from all over the world and, and, and white people and all kinds of people came out to protest and camped um, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And it really devolved um, pretty quickly in October and November of 2016, um, wherein the federal government um, and the oil company sort of combined forces and committed acts of uh, violence and terrorism against the protesters. Yeah. And as a result of that, there was an indictment of um, seven people, um, seven protesters, um, and one of those protesters um, is a dear friend of ours, um, and my partner Sandy, um, who's been on the podcast before, um, is their lawyer, and so we've gotten close to Rattler. Um, the case is United States v. Michael Marcus, um, but his like tribe name is Rattler. I think like rattlesnake, right? Um, and his partner is Olive. Um, they met at camp. and Rattler might also be for his proclivity for Harleys. <laughs> yes, he does. Seriously. Yeah, no, I know, right? Um, yeah, so Olive and Rattler have become dear friends of ours, really family, I think, at this point. And... Um, Rattler was charged with civil disorder um, and then a couple of other charges that were eventually pled down to just civil disorder. And his sentencing hearing in federal court was this week in North Dakota. And so I went with Sandy um, to North Dakota to help uh, with emotional support, but also like some legal support work around the sentencing. To We had witnesses that were going to testify um, on his behalf because, right, so the first offer, I guess, or the, the worst case scenario would have been he would have served 15 years um, in jail, in federal prison, sorry, not jail. Um, and Sandy's proclivity is always to do a jury trial. But yes. unfortunately, um, this case was being charged in a specific district in North Dakota, which is in Bismarck. Um, and is one of the more hostile places on earth, particularly um, for the protesters and for indigenous people generally. And for non-white people in general. For anyone not from there. Yeah. I mean, really, that's the truth of North Dakota. Uh, we looked up some statistics, Sandy and I, on our first night there. She's very familiar with the place, but I was like, first of all, Bismarck is like this tiny town. And it's the capital of North Dakota. <laughs> and it's like half the size of Fort Collins, right? It's this mm-hmm. tiny little town. Um, and while I was like, I couldn't believe the tininess of the airport and this, just the like, it's just a really small place. 
So we were looking up like um, it's 93% white, 50% of the population is evangelical, mm-hmm. 36% Catholic, and most of the people who live there make their money on oil and gas. Yep. So were you to have a jury trial in Bismarck, North Dakota, from a protester of the pipeline, um, I don't think that you could find 12 people in all of Bismarck. I don't think you could find one person out of 12 people in all of Bismarck who would side with our defendant. <laughs> and so calculated no. um, decision was made, and Rattler accepted a non-cooperating plea deal, which means that he did not cooperate with the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't give them any information. He didn't talk about what happened at the camps. He didn't talk about any of his co-defendants. He um, Can we talk a second about what he did to get himself in this quote-unquote trouble to begin with, which is so odious? We can talk about what they alleged he was a part of. I, I mean more in the sense of what he actually did and how they twisted that. Right. So him. I can talk about it in a really specific way. Okay. Because there are other co-defendants. Fair. Um, so what happened was there's this river, right? And then there's these three roads that come into um, where the encampment was. And the encampment was set up so that the oil company wouldn't have access to the river to be able to build under it. Like that was the protest, right? Nonviolent. Just people basically putting bodies in the way of these oil companies. Right. And it built this big camp, um, the Oshetti camp. And so what happened was the the federal government and the, the oil companies did this sweep. They put barricades on one of the roads, barricades on another road, and they just decided to sweep people. If they could get them all down to this one place, then the oil company could continue to do what it needed to do, even though a federal court had said that they needed more time to decide if that was legal for them to do. But they did it anyway. And there was a, an incident on a bridge wherein um, protesters were on one side and law enforcement was on another side um, of this bridge, and there was a barricade. And some of the people that were there... Um, thought that it would be really violent and really dangerous if law enforcement and the protesters had an interaction. Should one, even one law enforcement official be injured by a Mm -hmm. protester maybe who just had had enough, right? Yeah. Then that would wreak violence on the rest of the indigenous people who were protesting. Um, and if the law enforcement were able to get to those indigenous people, whether or not they had been injured, um, that could also lead to violence. And so at some point, um, the barricade was lit on fire um, because that was seen as the best way to protect everybody, right? Just don't allow them to interact. I mean, things were really tense. And um I think an interaction in that case would have been really violent and a lot of people could have been really seriously injured. And so a barricade um, was lit on fire and that prevented law enforcement from crossing and it also prevented the protesters from crossing and it prevented violence. Yeah. You know, I'm just remembering now, this before you and Sandy were really in communication, 
I would be getting these text updates from Sandy while she was there. Yeah. And I just remember be, uh, being horribly afraid it was going to spiral into just horrible, horrible violence and, and, right. and death. And right. fortunately, it didn't quite get there, but it was obviously I mean, it a did mess. later. It did, yeah. But, yeah. So, so that incident, the, the lighting on fire of the barricade in order to protect both law enforcement and the protesters, um, resulted in an indictment. Um, of seven people and Rattler was one of those people Um, and first I guess I want to say we're going to have Olive and Rattler on the podcast maybe Mm -hmm. I should have mentioned this before as a teaser I'm going to tell you my experience at the sentencing but I'm going to let them really tell their stories about what really happened and, and how it went down and what what and why of all of this because They've really not been able to talk about this prior to his sentencing because, um, you know, you don't want to, you know, say or do the wrong thing or anything else. So they haven't really been able to talk about what happened and how they feel and, you know, all that stuff. So we're going to have them on. We're going to do an entire podcast um, in the next couple of weeks. It could be next weekend, could be the weekend after that, depending on their schedule. Um, Or they're going to come and they're going to, you're going to hear firsthand from this water protector and his partner and, um... I think it's going to be really compelling and really amazing. So anyway, um, what happened on Thursday, why I was in North Dakota, was because Rattler had taken a non-cooperating plea deal, uh, much to the chagrin of the government. (laughs) They very much wanted him to um, be their snitch, right? And Mm -hmm. they also floated some ideas that maybe he had snitched, and it was a whole thing, but he didn't, and it pissed them off. so he took a non-cooperating plea deal, and his amazingly amazing lawyer got it to three years. <laughs> Who's been on this podcast before. <laughs> Who has been on this podcast before. Um, and God damn it, is she good. Um, so the plea agreement that they struck was that it was a non-cooperating plea deal of three years in federal prison. Imagine that. Yeah. Protecting people from each other in which no bodily harm, no one was injured in what could have been an incredibly violent conflict. Well, the fix was in. And they're going to throw him in jail. They're going to put him in a cage for three years. So Sandy and I went to North Dakota, and part of the sentencing um, process was that we were going to have witnesses come forward on Rattler's behalf to talk about his character and to talk about his life and to talk about what he means to his community. Because when you do a sentencing, um, part of his pretrial services is what they call it, which is basically like you've been charged with this crime, you've been let out of jail, but you still have to report to this. Basically, it's like probation, but before you go to jail. And part of the sentencing is whatever your pretrial services officer, which would be like your probation officer, right? They write a report Mm -hmm. about your story and like any potential like points that might like make you at higher risk to reoffend or lower risk to reoffend or this is a thing that we should consider right the PSR the pre-sentencing report was pretty damning um in really ways that were just untrue um they characterized him as a person who was homeless and jobless and had no community and the reason for that is that he didn't have an address and he didn't have, like, you know, a W-2 to give to them, mm-hmm. right? And what we had to make the judge understand was that life on a reservation is really different from what this person, 
who wrote this PSR probably has himself, right? Yeah. Where you have an address and you have a W-2 and, you know, you pay your taxes and all the things. This is life on the reservation and I was able to pull up a scholarly journal article about how life on specifically the Pine Ridge Reservation works and it's, you know, it's about 78% unemployment. Um, There really aren't addresses. So even if you have a house, <laughs> you don't have yeah. like a street address because like that's work, not how work, it works. Work and commerce and the their right. micro economy they've created for themselves is yes. not traditional. Correct. So it's not to say there isn't one. It's not that right. like, they just lay around and do nothing. They no. have a fully functioning society. Completely fully functioning society. It just doesn't look like ours looks. Right. Right. So Rattler's a mechanic and a semi truck driver. And so when he's on the reservation, he does work on people's cars and he does work on their motorcycles and he does work on their things. And in exchange, he has housing food and room and board and, and food and, and yeah. all of the things. And it's just how it works down there. It's just not the traditional way that it works. So we had to be really clear with the judge because part of what they were saying was that his he's, risk of reoffending is that he's this just like shiftless person yeah, with exactly. no community. Yeah. And we had to bring in members of his community to say, no, that's not true. He's very, he's got he more of a community than more than most people. Yeah. You, you know, like Michael Douglas and falling down, that guy has an address and he has a job <laughs> and he goes fucking crazy because he has no community. Right. right? Mm-hmm. Rattler has so much community. He could go to like seven different places in this country and have a job and a house. And yeah, it's one hell of a reference there. You just pulled out Thanks. for the analogy. <laughs> I mean, That's really, really good. Right. It's really good. I mean, it's true. Yeah. That guy on a PSR would look great <laughs> and he's going to go shoot some people up. Rattler, yeah. on the other hand. Doesn't have a physical address. Well, in the context of the movie, he didn't really want to shoot anybody, but yeah. yeah. You know, he, he went fucking crazy because he has yeah. no community. Yeah. Rattler has so much community. So we brought in a bunch of people to testify to that, to the judge, to say, you know, this, we, we wrote a, uh, Sandy wrote a sentencing memo um, that laid out sort of all of this, right, for the judge to read prior. Um, 38 people sent in letters of support. 38 people. I don't know that I have 38 people who would write me a letter saying how much I've impacted their life and how much I matter to well, them. Well, we're not Brett Kavanaugh, so... Yeah, but that's not. incredible. No, it is. And, it's and un- unlike Brett, Brett Kavanaugh's, this, these 38 people, I'm sure, actually know him intimately. And every single one of them offered to testify, to fly, drive, or get themselves to North Dakota to yeah. a fucking hearing at 8.30 in the morning on a Thursday to say, this man is important, mm-hmm. and here's how he's affected my life. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't do that, right? We only had an hour and a half. And mm-hmm. so we had six people testify. And we tried to pick from people that were of varying degrees of like, how long have you known this person and what is this person? Like, we didn't want to take only like his close family and friends. So one of the uh, people who testified was um, a motorcycle shop owner um, in North Dakota, in Bismarck because Rattler was required to stay in Bismarck for a period of time after he was um, charged, he started working in this motorcycle shop. And this guy, Butch, who's lived in Bismarck his entire life, who's known Rattler for about two years, came in and said, like, you know, it was so interesting. We were prepping, right, all the witnesses and talking about what they were going to say and, Mm -hmm. you know, how it was going to go. And he was just the sweetest, like, old white dude. And he was like, you know, I know I wrote the letter, but I really want that judge to look at me and put a face to my letter. I've been in Bismarck my whole life. And I want to look at that judge who's been in Bismarck his whole life. And I want to say, I'm one of you. And I want to say, this man does not have a lack of community. He has a job when he comes out. 
he has a place to live when he comes out. He is not a person that is just floating around in the world. He comes yeah. in, he works, exact he does great work. I would give him a job forever and he has a place to live. Like I want to look the judge in the eye and say that, mm-hmm. which was extraordinary, right? Given how hostile North Dakota is to these people. That this local mechanic, right? Not from North so apparently what happened, how they met was Rattler had his, a motorcycle, he has a Harley, and it needed a little bit of work, so he came into this shop, and he asked this guy, hey, I need this work done, and he was like, I don't have time. Come back tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Or come back in a week, I think it was. Comes back in a week, and he's like, hey, still need some work. And the guy's like, I don't have time, but like, I got, if you want to work on it, like, I got some tools, just go over there and like, fix it yourself if you want, if you just need the space, which is weird, but it's what happened, and so he did. And then he just hung around and kept helping with other people's bikes and other people's cars and other people's stuff, right? So he just kept helping, and then that's how he developed this relationship. So um, we had him, which was great. Um, We had Unchi Cindy. And Unchi, um, in this particular culture, is basically like, um, you know, like how black people talk about their aunties. Mm-hmm. Right. That's what this is. Yeah. So, Unchi's so it's a matriarchal society, right? How about that? Yeah. So, women are in control. Women are in power. Women are um the most spiritually potent and therefore given the greatest reverence. And so when an Unchi tells you to do something or an Unchi says this is the way something's going to go, that's the fucking way it goes. There's just yeah. no question about it. That just is it. Mm-hmm. So Unchi Cindy um, is this amazing lady that I don't even know how to describe. Um, worked for the Washington Post in like from 1969 to 1975 as like the style editor because she had come from Vogue. So she has all these stories about like the Pentagon Papers and like... <laughs> you know Watergate ben and Bradley like Ben and Bradley and like all of this Woodward and she's, Bernstein yeah, yeah she's amazing she, she grew sure. up in Harlem she lives in Washington D.C. God, she's also her on the podcast. I oh know my oh my god, god she totally do it I, you she, think so oh my god that would be amazing she's amazing um, and she's a spiritual leader and elder um, of the Lakota people and so um, her and Olive Rattler's partner are Sundancers together um, and have been in Colorado for about five years and she met Rattler a couple years ago um and basically adopted him spiritually as her son um and so she's our unchi now (laughs) she makes me call her that it's so cute she's the best anyway so she spoke about um you know there's a great reverence for elders um in this community and um Rattler during the Sundance where they met they like met in sacred space and they like had a lot of conversations and he really cared for her and she said that you know that their bond was really kind of immediate um and that you know she described the way that like his care was healing in a way that a lot not a lot of like um men have the capability of um and that you know he was just he's just an extraordinary human being he really is I mean he's just kind and thoughtful and caring and also like kind of goofy and funny and just really kind of amazing so she got up and really like spoke to the judge's heart about like this is the character of this person Mm -hmm. and this is how we see elders in our community and this is how he honors us um and I thought that was really powerful um and then they had um 
Sweetgrass. And this is really interesting. And I'm going to let Olive tell their story about um, camp in this way. But um, during what they call during camp, right, which is like during the period of time that these people were protesting pipeline um, under ridiculous conditions. And I'll let them tell you about that. But um, Olive met Sweetgrass and both of them are two spirits. Um, which is what we would refer to, I guess, sort of nominally as trans or non-binary. Trans or non, yeah, binary, um, I guess. Trans, right. tr- more trans, probably. Mm, more non-binary. It just depends on the person, right? It's it's sure. two spirit people. Like that's the that's the most interesting thing for me about this is that over here in like white world, <laughs> we're all arguing about bathrooms and whether or not, mm-hmm. you know, men and women can be not that and like this very, you know, binary system. And yeah, yeah. the the indigenous people just have always recognized that like there are just are not two genders. <laughs> there just aren't. Yeah, and some people don't pick one dominant set of traits and identify. It's not, no. It's not weird to them. No, it's not weird yeah. at all. It's just a part of who you are. You're either like two-spirit or you're they're way more advanced or you're a dude. than we are. Way more advanced. And it's always been this way. It's not like they're like, oh, we'll adopt this now. No, it's like, no, this has been forever. Years, forever. Yeah. There's two-spirited people. And so Olive is two-spirited and so is Sweetgrass. And they met at camp. Um, and Sweetgrass uses uh, she, her pronouns. So Mm -hmm. I'll refer to her that way. Olive uses they, their pronouns. So I will refer to them that way. Um, so Sweetgrass and Olive met and they decided that there was some violence that was occurring to some of the two spirited people from some of the other indigenous people, which is, you know, a thing that I think Olive can speak better about, you know, in every community, there's still problematic things and there's still violence. And they decided to start this two spirit security system and, you know, they, they had, like, their own camp, and they, they really went out of their way to make sure that two-spirited people were protected. Um, and they were having a really hard time with that. Um, and Rattler came along. Rattler's a big guy. He's a big cisgender dude, right? hmm And they were having problems because someone that was part of the security force um, had assaulted one of the two-spirit members and they didn't feel like they could go to anybody and they didn't feel like they had any recourse because this was also like you know a Lakota person Mm -hmm. and like there was just a lot of politics playing into it and so Rattler came along and he was able to hear them and understand them and had a commitment to helping them in a way that was non-violent and de-escalating. And so he was able to go in, listen, hear, understand, and then help de-escalate, not in a, oh, I'm going to go kick that guy's ass for doing whatever, right? It was just, I'm going to remove that person from this equation nonviolently. And he did that multiple times. And I think talking about the bridge, right? Yeah. You don't go beat up the cops, right? <laughs> no. no. You just make it so that that situation is neutralized. Yeah. And that's what he was able to do for the two-spirit people in that camp. Um, and so Olive and Rattler... for being a peacemaker. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Um, so Olive and Rattler fell in love. And they got married about a week ago um, in the traditional Lakota wedding. 
and we didn't get to be there, which was unfortunate. But um, so anyway, so Sweetgrass was able to go on the stand. So Sweetgrass and Olive were the like sort of original two spirit people that like wanted to have some kind of security. And Sweetgrass, she was saying like just how um, safe she felt that her, her and Olive both shared that, you know, Rattler might have been the only man that they'd ever known that hadn't tried to hurt them in some way, right? And and also to his character, just about like how much he had helped Olive and helped their trauma and helped them be able to process that and, and feel safe. And, and gosh, they light up when they're around Rattler. Um, so that was really powerful testimony. Um, and then Olive had an opportunity to speak. Um, and it was amazing. I mean, they looked at that fucking judge and it was like, you're going to look at me and listen to what I have to say. And it was just acts of service. You know, guy on the side of the road broke down. Rattler's the guy that goes and says, I'll do whatever. Right. Yeah. Comes out an hour later covered in grease. And the guy says, how much do I owe you? And Rattler says, how about a handshake? Yeah. Right. That's Rattler. Right. Um, and and then the uh, a minister from the Unitarian Universalist Church in uh, Bismarck, which has been a, a strong ally for the water protectors. In fact, one of their members, CJ, um, allowed Olive and Rattler to live with her um, while they were forced to stay in North Dakota. Um, so the minister, Karen, got up and talked about what an asset Rattler's been to their community. Same style, right? Like he comes and he makes spaghetti dinner for 100 people. And he comes and we didn't have a speaker one time because this guy got in a car accident and he couldn't make it. And we mm-hmm. had this big event. So they just handed Rattler the mic and he got up there and he spoke. And like he's just an extraordinary human being who has so much community. And that was the point. So we got through that testimony and then Rattler spoke. And I'll just tell you the thing I thought was the most extraordinary. And the whole courtroom stopped. Court workers, they don't give a shit about testimony usually. And they didn't give a shit about anybody else's. And when he started talking, the room froze. And everyone was looking at him. And he got a little choked up. And he said, you know, I was drawn to this place because I felt like I needed to protect my people. And at this point, the oil company had already against court orders, bulldozed, literally bulldozed through one of their sacred burial sites and destroyed about 300 graves. Ah. And Rattler said, imagine, Judge, if that had happened to you. Imagine if an oil company bulldozed through Arlington Cemetery. What would you do? How upset would you be? And everyone, I just started like weeping because I was like, right? You imagine, right? How you'd feel. Yeah. Some fucking oil company bulldozed through Arlington National Cemetery because they needed to be space for a fucking pipeline. That's not even considering the water. Rattler's a veteran. Yeah. He was a Marine. He was a Marine, yeah. Right? And he went on to talk about, you know, his service and... I think he was honorably discharged because of a knee issue or something. Yeah, he had a, a physical issue, yeah. And um, he just talked about, you know, his life's always been about service and always been about helping people, and it was never about, like, he's not a, he's not an activist, 
right? He's, he's not. He's not a movement person. He's not a protester. Uh-huh. He went there to help his people and to make sure they were safe. And the judge seemed moved by it. Um, this judge, um, Havlin, uh, when this whole thing started, apparently he was real hostile. Mm-hmm. Because he was watching all of the news, right? He said he called them hooligans and thugs the two judge. years ago. Mm-hmm. Two years ago, hooligans and thugs. I watched the TV just like everybody else. It's all these outside agitators coming in and fucking with our community, right? Mm-hmm. Not this day. This day, he was like, you know, Rattler had a perfect record um, from his pretrial services. He made every appointment. He never did anything uh, untoward. He did every single, literally every single thing that was recommended to him. And the judge made a big deal about it. And he said, you know, this is really rare. I don't know that I've seen anyone come before this court who has done literally everything that someone asked. And, And the person who wrote the final report, not the one we were talking about earlier, but the like recommendation said, I think you should... Um, allow him to self-report to whatever facility happens, which Sandy had never seen. Her co-counsel had never seen. So in his final judgment, Rattler got three years, which was what the plea agreement agreed to. We knew that was going to happen. The judge could have made it smaller, but politically that would have been impossible. Yeah. But what he said was, okay, I'm going to do the three years. I'm going to recommend the maximum amount of time that the the Bureau of Prisons can allow mm-hmm. will be in a halfway house. Mm-hmm. That's probably 12 to 15 months. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do three years of supervised probation. Supervised release is what they call it. Um, but I think you won't need that much. And if anyone comes in here and requests that you be released early, I will 100% do that. And you're not getting taken into custody today, which nobody expected. So then we were it, like, so what, Monday? And he was like, November 26th. We so, were like, what? And he's like, like we were, everyone was stunned. And he said, you know, it's really weird how the, the Bureau of Prisons works. You're going to basically get shipped around in a bus for the next two months till you end up at your final destination. I'm just going to let them figure out where they're going to put you. And when they figure that out, you can go report there. Which is insanely crazy and wonderful and unheard of. And means that likely he'll be at the lowest possible designation, which means we put into a minimum security facility, which could potentially look like a white collar kind of facility, like maybe like a farm where like there's a lot of like open space and time out and it's not like a federal prison in solitary. Yeah. So it was the best outcome that we could have hoped for. And that's yeah, largely be- due to the witnesses. Better and than I think you guys were expecting. Much more so yeah, than anything were, we could have expected. I think you were hoping at best to maybe sort of get half of what you were gunning for yeah and you wound up getting more so it was successful it was really yeah and then it was you know i I have to imagine olive and rattler were extremely pleased with that outcome very happy yeah i mean yeah they're still gonna put him in a fucking cage right yeah yeah and they shouldn't do that yeah but i think the conditions under which he's put in there the the only caveat to that i would say is that um, the judge makes recommendations, but the Bureau of Prisons has the final judgment. So the Bureau of Prisons can decide, fuck that, and put him in a maximum security prison for three years with it's no halfway house. Unlikely they'll do that. But it's very unlikely they'll do that. In yeah. part because federal prisons are not privately funded. They're overcrowded. And so with. they don't really want to house you for longer than they have to. So it's right. very likely that he'll go to a minimum security and be released to a halfway house. Yeah. So likely what will happen is he'll do 15 months in federal prison, and then he'll do a year 
in a halfway house and then he'll do a year on supervised release and then that's that. Yeah, and then that could get cut short even. So, here's what I would say, ladies and gentlemen and non-binary folks out there. I was talking to Olive earlier about doing this and about them and Rattler coming on the podcast and about what are the things that I can ask you guys to do, right? Because this is not just near and dear to my heart, but it should be to yours too. Um, It's important and it's something that I would urge you to look more into. And if you have questions, please let us know. But I also am going to give you some, um, some ways that you can help, right? In a kind of finite way. So first of all, if you would like to donate, um, I would really appreciate that. Every dollar is helpful. Um, Olive is the best, and so is Rattler, and so mm-hmm. they would like me to point out that there are other people besides Rattler that are in prison currently. One of them is Little Feather and his family, um, Dion and his family, um, Red Fawn, um, and then there's a couple of others, but we don't have their information yet. So there's some PayPal... Um, links that we're going to put in the show notes. Little Feather and his family are paypal.me slash lcowboy. Dion is paypal.me slash Dion Ortiz. Red Fawn is paypal.me slash I stand with Red Fawn. Um, if you would like to donate to Red Fawn's um, commissary in jail, it would be paypal.me slash Red Fawn 303. Rattler um, Family and Support Committee would be paypal.me slash Olivia Bias, O-L-I-V-I-A-B-I-A-S. And then um, Rattler Until He Goes to Prison is paypal.me slash Sue I-C. So S-I-U, I'm sorry, S-I-O-U-X-I-C. Then Olive wanted me to share that um, if you would like to reach out to them to talk to Olive or Rattler, um, there's a direct uh, email link where they'd be happy to hear from you and answer questions that you might have or figure out better ways that you might be able to help support them. Um, that email is freerattlermatotanka, so F-R-E-E-R-A-T-T-L-E-R-M-A-T-O-T-A-N-K-A at protonmail.com. We're going to put all of these links in the show notes so you can just click on them. Um, the other thing is really about um, getting the word out, right? Sort of talking about this experience, not my experience, but their experience in camp and what happened and why it happened and what the feds did and, and why it is such a miscarriage of justice, which I think is better heard from a direct source than me sort of trying to explain it to you. So we're going to have them on to talk about that. Um, but after we do that, I think what would be nice um, and what I've asked directly from them, like what else can people do, is they'd like to go around and do some speaking tours some sort of venues where we can have them come in there's um some community around like radical indigenous art that maybe like have like an art showing and like a a talk about what happened at standing rock and what you can do going forward um 
So if you guys know of any places near you or around you, they don't have to be art galleries even. It can be like a bar or a tattoo shop or a, you know, a coffee shop or a bookstore or I don't know. But some place that would be willing to let some of the water protectors come in and tell their stories and have their families come in and tell their stories and talk to you about like what the federal government did, what the oil companies did, why it's problematic, display some of their um, art and some of their like radical art especially is fucking incredible. Um, and then answer questions and talk about like what advocacy you can do around environmental work and indigenous people. And, and I think it would be really cool. And they're totally willing to go wherever you think they should go. And, and if you guys have venues in mind or if you know a place in town that you like and you can get some people to come out, I'd love for you to email them or email us um, at a reverend duo, a reverend testimony at gmail.com. Um, and just let us know, or you can tweet at us or whatever. Um, and just let us know if you have a place in mind. Um, they'd like to do some events close to the places where, um, Little Feather and Red Fun are currently incarcerated. So that would be West Virginia and Texas. And then we don't yet know where Rattler's going to be, um, incarcerated. They asked for a place in South Dakota. Um, so anywhere near there, um, but places near like indigenous populations would be good. Um, but you know, if you've got a place in like LA or New York city or something, and you want to bring out like, you know, get some word out and get, you know, get some more visibility, we'd really appreciate it. Um, and I think, you know, we'll plug this again once we have them, but I think once you hear their stories, um, it really hits home about what happened. And this is not in like some foreign country. This is in like South Dakota, right? North Dakota. Well, this was in South Dakota on the border, technically both. I don't know. But so South and North Dakota on this reservation um, and what the government did um, and what it did to its own citizens and population and what it did to, I mean, you know, literally stole their land and then gave them a little chunk of it. And then we invaded that, too. Yeah. Right. And then used unimaginable um, techniques to get them to try to leave that as well, like spraying them with water, um, water cannons in negative 30 degree temperatures, um, chemical warfare, you know, guns. I mean, it was it's extraordinary when you hear their stories. So I'd encourage you to, if you don't know a lot about Standing Rock, I'd encourage you to look it up and read the stories. And then we will have a special episode with Olive and Rattler um, that will tell us their stories directly from their mouths and whatever way they choose to do that. And I would really encourage you to listen to that as well. Um, and in the meantime, if you got a couple bucks, really appreciate it if you'd throw it their way. Um, it's going to be a rough couple years. And I know that they would really appreciate your support and I would really appreciate your support. Okay. That's uh, almost going to take us to the break here. Any closing thoughts on this before we take a break and talk about all things Kavanaugh and I this do, horrific week? I do week? have some closing thoughts. Um, and we're going to get into this about Kavanaugh, too. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, we always talk about how social movements right, are created by women. Yes. Women are the backbone of these things. Usually the biggest ones... Yes. It's fucking true. Yeah, it is. Every, there are no social movements without women, right? Mm -hmm. There are no men who work 
for the Water Protector Liquor Collective. There are literally no, none. You, she was literally just there. none. There are zero men in that office. Okay, these movements are born from women, created by women, sustained by women. They are the backbone of social movements. Women do all of this, right? And then there's like some figurehead sometimes that's a dude. But really, if you dig into social movements and dig into the history of social movements and current social movements, it's women. Women, largely women of color, largely marginalized groups of women. And without them, there is no social movement. There is no great change. There is no, there's none of it, right? It's all women. So just think about that before we get into the next half about what we also do to women. Yeah, and we have obviously a ton we're going to say about that uh, after the break. So thanks for holding on and, and, and taking a journey with us on something way outside the box and what's been rattling around, no pun intended, in the mainstream media. Uh, and it's important and it's overlooked and there's there's more of these fights to be had. And, you know, like I said, it, because this all happened during the height of the uh, presidential race, it got largely overlooked. I think Chris Hayes touched on it a little bit and Rachel Maddow touched on it a little bit and saw some of it on Twitter, but overall it just kind of got lost in everything. And like, this was a big deal. Uh, and there's more we're going to say about it and probably talk about some similar things that are happening. Um, anyway though, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about all the Kavanaugh stuff. And as you might guess, Rachel has some thoughts and opinions (laughs) as do I, but, uh, mine are not as important. Uh, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. testimony so this uh this part of the of the episode is going to be difficult for us uh especially for rachel um we're gonna get into the kavanaugh stuff and this is not gonna be easy and i I only want to preface it by saying we try to put on our pseudo journalist hats we're not really journalists we're podcasters Uh, but we 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 try to bring you this stuff from sort of an objective rational standpoint but what we're feeling right now isn't necessarily objective or rational so bear with us this is going to be raw and this is going to be intense and we're going to try to make sense of it for you the best we can do you think that's all fair to say? Yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, I was in North Dakota, like we talked about, so I didn't get to, like, 
watched the hearings, which was really hard for me and for Sandy. We caught little bits here and there. We caught a lot of the Donald Trump speech, which I don't care to talk about. Um, so it's been kind of like a, you know, it's been hard for me to, like, I've been ingesting, like, you know, bits and pieces of what happened. Um, but not being able to watch it was hard. And then um, in advance of this section of the podcast, I just watched some of it. And um, I'm a little bit weepy. And um, so I'm going to do my best to not be weepy. And you all have seen it before this and by the time this podcast gets put out certainly you've already seen it so I apologize to being late in the game um but um fuck yeah <laughs> you know I mean it's just um awful and um so I watched her entire opening statement, and uh, um, I don't think we needed to do anything past that, right? I think that watching her tell her story and talk about it in the way that she talked about it was all the evidence I needed to know that that was true. Um, I've been her I've known her I know exactly what she's talking about and there's no reality in which I can imagine that this very private person this professor um, would do anything to be in the public spotlight unless she thought it was important enough that um, she had to and so she came forward and she told her truth yeah. And it was really hard to watch. And um, I don't know how to watch that and think that I could ever come to terms with somebody who watched that same thing and think that she was anything but just truthful, right? Or that she um, did this because of anything other than, to her point, a civic obligation to say to the committee, hey, you know, you might want to consider this before you put this person on the Supreme Court. And it's important to note she did that before Trump even announced his pick. It's just when she saw him on the on the list, basically, is when she first alerted them. That's important. Right, right. Back in July, mm-hmm. she saw him on the list and she thought... As most of us would think, right? Like, let's imagine the ladies out there, or the men, or whoever, um, that one day you you read this thing that said that somebody who sexually assaulted you might be confirmed to the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right? She literally said, I, I didn't know how to go about alerting the president, right? Yeah, she didn't have <laughs> or a like cell phone. Or, like, the Senate, right? or whatever, like... I didn't know how to go about doing that. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't know how to go about doing that either. When you go to the U.S. Senate website, there's no button that says, 
you know, click here if you were assaulted by a Supreme Court justice nominee. Right. Like, so she did what I would have done, exactly what I would have done, which is read it, reach out to my representative and say, mm-hmm. hey, like, I don't know, this is a thing that happened, and I think that you guys should know that before, you know, voting on this shit. And yeah. I know you don't vote on it, but, like, I don't know, tell somebody, tell somebody this happened, yeah. basically. And so that congressperson did that, forwarded her letter to Diane Feinstein, and then there was this period where, you know, she describes, you know, not knowing if she should come forward named, because she was anonymous at that point. Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, it was just torture, right? Do I do this thing that I need to do and do I do that to my family right do I tell everybody what happened and do I testify about what happened because it's important for the country and for women and just generally for like civic duty or do I protect my family and what what a world we live in where that's the choice, you know? Do I protect my family from what's about to come, which will be violent... Death threats, death having threats. to move, which all of that has taken place. Yeah. Or do I tell the truth? And she told the truth. And watching her do that was so fucking painful that I could not stop sobbing. And I'm still crying, like I can't sort of help it, right? Um, because it's so fucking painful to watch. Because we are her or we have known her, all of us. Every single one of us are her or we have known her. This is not some operative out of somewhere. This is a lady who had a thing happen when she was in high school that she tries not to think about and tried to process with her therapist. And then this man gets put up for this fucking Supreme Court. And of course you say something, right? You have to. Except you don't have to. You don't have to. You could have stayed quiet. We would never have known. And then this crazy, maniacal, yelling, screaming, crying man would be on the court, but we would never have known that he was that person. Mm-hmm. Right? So she did. And I don't think you can watch her opening statement and think that she's anything other than credible. Well, even the Republicans on the committee said during the break she seemed credible. Even Cornyn had to say that. Because she is. Yeah. And you know what sucks? Is that that's a question. Somebody breaks into your car or your house or steals your watch. There's evidence that that happened, and it's credible no matter what. Mm-hmm. It's not the same for rape cases. Or no. in this case, right, attempted rape. Yeah. A series of events happened in which she was able to squirrel her way out of that horrifyingly awful sexual assault situation. It had affected her for decades. She processed it with her therapist and her husband. Do you know the reason, like, 
that this all came out in therapy was they were building a house and she insisted on there being two exits essentially or entryways for the house mm-hmm. and her husband and the builder were like no that doesn't make any sense and she was insistent that there had to be two doorways right two entrances and exits to the house and when they nailed her down on it why what what the fuck that doesn't make any sense she told the story for the mm. first time in her life because that night when she got assaulted and she was waiting in the bathroom that happened to have a lock on it after she got away she realized that she was going to have to walk downstairs and walk past, past them and them through the living and room. through them yeah. and maybe they'd follow her and maybe they'd try again or maybe they'd get more men right or maybe they'd be to come angry angry that she locked herself in the bathroom no idea right had there been an alternate exit she would have taken it and so she made them build her home with two exits because of this trauma. Now, I don't know. You tell me if you think that's not real, right? She made the builder build two exits from her home because of something that happened to her in 1982. Can I can I just jump in with a couple things? Of course you can. Um, keep your eye on Twitter and stuff now because now, especially since Jeff Flake kind of demanded a kind of a weak pause and an FBI investigation, which is what Democrats were screaming for and getting mocked for during the hearing. Well, it worked. Yep. Um, although <coughs> it, it's going to be kind of a charade and they can only interview a number of witnesses. But why did Jeff Flake do that? Uh, do you want the cynical version? I mean, I want you to tell the story of what happened this morning and then, yeah. The okay, well, what happened yesterday was after, and we haven't gotten to Kavanaugh's testimony yet, but after Kavanaugh had his testimony, Republicans felt better and said, okay, fuck it, we're having, we're having a vote to send it out of committee and to the floor Right. Or an up or down vote. So like out of the Judiciary Committee and onto like every senator, including yeah. your two senators from wherever you're from. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but first what we're gonna do is we feel good enough that tomorrow morning we're gonna go ahead and we're gonna hold the vote. Yep. And it and Jeff Flake had announced this is yesterday morning, Friday, announced early in the morning, you know what? I'm voting for Kavanaugh. Fuck it. For whatever which, reasons he gave. If you don't remember who Jeff Flake is, which there's too many fucking names, Ugh. so it's fine. Jeff Flake is this fucking senator out of Arizona, right? He's <coughs> retiring. And he's already said he's not going to run for re-election. So there's no political stakes for him unless he decides to run for president, it, which it, he's going to do. But he, there's no political stakes for him in 2018, right? He can do whatever he wants, and he's been a fierce fierce opponent of President Trump. I mean, burning the building down, op-ed, blah, 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 publicly, right? Saying, like, I fucking hate this man. President Trump is the worst. He's the fucking worst. But when it comes to voting for his shit, he's lockstep. Right. So he's this disingenuous piece of shit, right? Yes, yes. So Jeff Flake, who publicly, you would think it's an easy fucking vote, right? It's an easy thing. If you hate Trump and you're not going up for re-election in 2018 and Brett Kavanaugh is a literal fucking rapist, it's a pretty easy vote. So he came out and said, nah, I'm going to vote to confirm Kavanaugh. 
Then, then minutes later, he's he, getting into an elevator. He's getting into an elevator with his aides. These two women, uh, and, and they are activists. Heroes. They are activists, but yes. they confront him and literally hold the elevator open and scream in his face about how they are sexual assault victims, mm-hmm. which I have no doubt in the world they are, just by virtue of the fact that they're women. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, how dare you? And, and what was it they, they said, like, by you voting for this man, what you're doing is... Well, you're telling all of the women who are sexual assault survivors that they don't matter. Right. They don't matter, and you don't care. And what are you telling my daughter? I have a daughter. What are you telling your daughter? Do you have kids? What are you doing? It's a disgrace. And, he's and then the reporters behind the them, door yeah, fury. And there's aides who are two women, by the way, looked horribly uncomfortable. Um, just trying to like get them out of the elevator. And then the reporters like picked up what this is going on, and they're like, "Do you want to respond to their question? Because the question, right? Like they tell their story, and then the question is, do you believe Brett Kavanaugh or not? Yeah. And he won't answer it. And the reporters behind them start saying, like, well, why didn't you answer that question? Do you believe him or not? Like, do you believe him? Because you just said you're going to vote for him. So do you believe him? Do you believe Dr. Ford? I think that's that's a fair question. Answer the question. And he wouldn't do it. He kept saying, thank you. And this woman was like, no, not thank you. Thank you is not a fucking answer to my question. Thank you is not an answer. Mm -hmm. Answer my question. Do you believe Dr. Ford or do you believe Brett Kavanaugh? Do you believe him? Thank right. you. Thank you for your question. Thank you. Thank you. She's like, no, not thank you. Thank you is not a, an answer. Answer my question. Do you believe Brett Kavanaugh? And then his aides are like getting in the way and they're like holding the elevator doors open, right? And being like, no. And then eventually they get pushed out of the elevator and he leaves. But the reporters behind them at a certain point started being like, good call. What is your answer to that question, Jeff Flake? Mm-hmm. A man who is not running for re-election, who hates President Trump. Are you voting for this man because you believe Brett Kavanaugh? You think he's being accurate? You think he's being truthful? Then he just refused to answer. Refused. Thank then, you. Then, an hour or so later, when the vote was about to come up, uh, Big Simis, which means in Yiddish for a big deal or whatever. Okay. Big Simis <laughs> happened... Uh, in the hallways, something was obviously happening. There were last-minute negotiations, and senators were talking and huddling in hallways, and something was obviously up. Well, this is what happened. Uh, Jeff Flake, ostensibly along with Murkowski and Collins, who all have their own little mini caucus on the side while this has all been going on, Jeff Flake says, I'm prepared to vote this uh, out of committee on one condition. Mm-hmm. And and Grassley, I still don't think Grassley understands what, what happened yesterday. Like, he was really confused, Grandpa, but, like, that's not important right now. Um, he said, I, I he basically what he said was, I, I'm going to go ahead and vote this out of committee on one condition. That there is an inv- an FBI background check that lasts at least one week. So right. we can... A further exp- FBI investigation so we can into the background. explore all these allegations. Mm-hmm. And... Feinstein kind of like, okay, let me understand what you're saying. And Grassley didn't really understand what he was saying. And he's just like, let's have the vote. And so like they voted and then, and then, and then like Jeff Flake, it's like, and then Feinstein or somebody was like, let's have Jeff Flake explain to everybody exactly what he means. So there's no confusion because there was a lot of confusion at the moment. Yes. And Jeff Flake's like, like, yeah, what I'm saying is I'm voting this out of committee, but if it went to the floor tomorrow, I'm not prepared to vote for, to confirm him. Right. And everyone's like, oh, okay. 
And then basically the rest of the Republicans had no choice but to be like, all right, I guess we're doing a week-long background check. FBI like they, they know they don't have the votes. Now, they could have gambled and said, well, if it's just Flake and we still have Collins and Murkowski, but they know that they're all together on this. And, and Flake wouldn't have gone up and said that if he was the only one. Then, he'd be, then he would have been humiliated. Then they would have held the vote like yesterday or today. And then, you know, that, that would have been the end of Jeff Flake's career. It still might be anyway. Does it matter though? That's no, the no, thing that's, that's not that's the point. So fucking bullshit. Right, that's not right? the point. But but anyway, so now we're gonna do this. We and now it's coming out today that the the Trump administration is just like drawing up the list of witnesses the FBI can interview. So it's kind of maybe bogus. And but that's not the point. Here's the original point I was trying to get to. Now today I'm seeing these things pop up on Twitter because this is what the Republicans did. They really, really tried hard. To not have Anita Hill 2.0. They had enough foresight to say, holy shit, we're already in trouble in the midterms. Our our nominee is in big trouble. We can't browbeat this poor lady who gets up here. We and, can't have and a panel of all white men. Calling her a liar and a slut. Calling her a liar and a slut like we did with Anita Hill. So we're going to have this ingenious new solution. Yeah, it, yeah. We're going to have a lady sex prosecutor out of Arizona Ask come in. Ask all the questions. Isn't that so brilliant, Travis? We're going to have a lady <laughs> sex prosecutor come in? Well, let me add to that because the original plan was the only way that makes any sense and looks fair is that she also asked the questions of Kavanaugh. Well, they started doing that with because she did. So she asked all the questions of Ford. But uh, the, hold on for the now. Republicans. The Democrats directly asked Ford questions. Like I spent a fucking week with some criminal defense attorneys, and here's the other thing that we have to add to this, right? Okay. First of all, the Republicans, right, are sort of on the defensive side of this. Kavanaugh is the sex pro, the, the sex crime person, right? He's yeah. the person who committed the crime, and they're trying to defend him, and they're. Trying to defend him with a prosecutor, <laughs> which they didn't think this through. Didn't this make all, this all came any together sense. in like two days. And what a good friend of ours, who's a longtime movement activist, pointed out was like, you cannot have effective cross examination in five minute chunks. No, right? So like. He was. That's she, right. Grassley limited the all the questions to five to minutes. To five minutes. So what happened was they hired this lady, sex crimes prosecutor. Yeah. To be the defendant's lawyer, which makes no fucking well, sense. Just like Trump did which with Giuliani. We're going to get into in a minute why prosecution and defense attorneys and all of that. But this is important. Yeah. Is that they were like, yeah, bring in a lady. So that there's no footage of the old white dude pestering the sex crime victim. Yes. Per Anita Hill. Right. And the year of the woman, 1992. Right. Exactly. Right. So they bring in this lady, except she's a prosecutor of sex crimes. And she treats Dr. Ford accordingly. Says things like, I think that you've fully encapsulated the details of the actual assault, so I'm not going to get into that anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Because she's a fucking prosecutor. She she, did, she, she works for job. victims. Yeah. She that's her job is to work for victims. Now that's not always prosecutor's job, but let's just be fair. But like in theory, that's their. Job. If she's a sex crime prosecutor, her wheelhouse is about nailing Brett Kavanaugh, and not nailing 
the victim, right? Obviously, yes. So, like, her job and what she's really good at is proving that Brett Kavanaugh raped this lady. <laughs> yeah. And they hired yeah. her to prove he didn't. And it didn't go very well. No. She was like, eh, that seems fair. Yeah, no, that's good. And no, yeah, I she- hear you. And, like, she was great. So they just pushed her aside at a certain point, right? Well, they didn't push her aside during the Ford hearings. They did. No, 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 no. Hold on. No, they did. No. At a certain point. Hold, n- no. Rachel, no. I watched the whole okay, thing. Okay, well, I didn't. But I heard that, like, at a certain point, they were just like, fuck this lady. Not during her, during Kavanaugh. That's what I'm getting to. They, she asked all the questions of the Republicans on the committee during Ford's part of the testimony. But they were not happy about it. Like, she didn't do what they wanted her to do. They had no idea what they wanted her to do. That's my point. Had they hired a fucking defense attorney? It would have been more effective, but it would have been ugly, too. But they wanted it to be ugly. But hold on, this is my point. They didn't point, like Rachel. her because she wasn't ugly, because she's not accustomed. They wanted to poke holes in her story. And and this lady sort of kind of tried, but it wasn't was ineffective. ineffective because her job is a prosecutor. That's, that's the thing. Hold on. That's the thing I'm getting to is like, uh-huh. that's the problem, right? Like they don't understand how the fucking law works. No, they definitely So don't. like, we'll hire a prosecutor because prosecutors are the best. They ask the tough questions. They ask the tough questions. Right. They get to the truth. And, and it's, it's like, a lady. And so it'll And it's a lady. So like, it's you nice, know, Chuck Grassley's face lady. isn't going to be on the news asking or an this hatch, yeah. very nice lady who's very credible horrible we're not gonna do Anita Hill 2.0 no we'll just have a lady do it right. and then the lady was like a prosecutor of sex crimes which is yes. like what are you doing yeah. right but anyway th- this is my point this is important right so the only way this charade was gonna work was because it'll look horribly hypocritical and like a dumb stunt if after um Ford's testimony for Kavanaugh's testimony testimony it still has to be the lady asking the questions right I think well right? They, they let her ask about two questions and then they basically shoved her aside I'm like no you can't ask no. any more questions now it's gonna be we us. hired a prosecutor and you're the fucking <laughs> And, and and the Republicans, like, yeah, and the Republicans hardly asked any questions. They just pontificated about how unfair this was to Kavanaugh and how evil the Democrats were and how dare they. And Lindsey Graham was screaming about revenge. And but the, but you know, regardless of that, boy, did that really look cynical. Now even bringing in this lady at all, mm-hmm. because again, the only way you might be able to get away with it is is if she asks all the questions of both Ford and Kavanaugh. But they didn't let her ask Kavanaugh the questions. No. Of course not. No. Because she's a fucking sex crimes prosecutor. Yeah. They, you really want her asking Kavanaugh questions about this? Or maybe the plan was, we'll let her ask a couple, so then it looked like we kind of let her... No, I don't think that they side. thought that far ahead. They were like, this is going to be great. And then she started asking questions. They were like, no, this is a prosecutor. Oh, this is bad. What were we thinking? Like, what the <laughs> fuck were you thinking? And the reason that it was so sloppy and breakneck like this is because they're just pushing it ahead so fast because they know, like... The more time goes, the more uh, victims come forward. we get to the, the fucking midterm. Yep. Yeah, the more. The more uh, this is in the public eye, the more your white ladies Witnesses come out. Mom is going to be like, no, the more witnesses come forward. There were people that were like calling into Fox News being like, oh, by the way, I, like, I went to high C-span. school with that guy and it was like, yeah, yeah, C-SPAN or whatever. And they were just like. No, that's not what that's not what like a fucking triangle means. That's yeah, not what boofing yeah. means. Yep, that's not yep. what this is. Yep. I've seen him blackout drunk. He didn't have one beer with a weak stomach. He's a fucking alcoholic. Yes. Right? So that's the other thing I want to talk about. And I have not watched, to be fair, 
the Brett Kavanaugh portion. Portion. Well, let me. Let and me. I don't know that I want to do that. I probably will. I, I think it's almost. But I'm going to need to get like as, drunk first as Fords. But the clips I've seen and the stuff I've seen, right? I haven't. I didn't watch the whole thing because I was in North Dakota. But the clips I've seen and the stuff that I've read indicates the following. White man feels entitled to a thing. <laughs> yes. People start to say no. Mm, or maybe, White man maybe not. Still get, or ask more starts questions. Starts to get real, real mad. Mm-hmm. And yelling. Mm-hmm. And crying. Mm-hmm. About how that thing he wanted, that thing he's entitled to, that thing that should have been his, is his. Whether you want to give it to him or not, he's going to fucking take it. And he will never stand down from that thing that he's fucking entitled to. And I will yell at you and I will cry at you and I will have that thing. That sounds like a fucking rapist to me. It's worse. Yeah, it's that. It's worse than that even because. But right. No, hold on though. Right. Yeah. That's what a rapist is. Yes. Right. Like. I am entitled to this. I'm entitled to this. How dare you. How dare you say no. And even if you say fucking no, I'm not backing down and I will have it whether you want me to have it or not. Mm hmm. You're absolutely That's right. That's the language of a rapist. Yep. You're absolutely right. And, and, and it's also the language of an abuser when an yeah. abuser gets caught and called out and said, you did this thing to me. Do you know how good I've been and all the things I've done for you? How dare you? How dare you? I'm going to cry. Because it's so unfair. It's so unfair. And I want you to feel sympathy for me. And then I'm going to yell. Because I'm fucking angry at you. And How dare you say that about me? And how perverse it was. Even like, if it's true, who cares? It doesn't fucking matter. You don't get to fucking say that to me because I am in charge. That's right. I am in charge. And you don't get to fucking question me. You don't get to question me. How dare you? And with his target audience, it worked. The target audience being Trump. the male members of the Senate Judiciary Committee. And Trump. And Trump. And what happened, from what I understand, it was this pretty interesting little cyclone of white male rage. Yes. That occurred, right? He started getting mad because how fucking dare you tell me I can't have this seat. I'm entitled to this seat. I'm entitled to your body. I'm entitled to this seat. Fucking dare you say no to me. You don't get to say no to me. And all the white men in the room got into the cyclone. Mm -hmm. They got... They were like, yeah, how fucking dare you question us? How dare question you attack us? us? How dare you attack us? How dare you question? Where, what do you even do? We don't even have to fucking answer these questions. This is an assault on our right as white men to have whatever we want. And you questioning that is an assault on who we are as people. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And outside exactly of that bubble? right. Whew, looks real bad. That's well, that's what I I was watching this and I'm tweeting and I'm like, okay, women can see exactly what this guy is and what he's doing. It is so if I can see it that clearly, imagine the way women see it. And it's not just him, right? It's Lindsey Graham. It's all of them. Well, we we, we knew they were all garbage people. Yes. No, this rage is valid. This rage is justified. We are white men for fuck's sake. How fucking dare you question us? Yep. How fucking dare you? 
Who do you think you are? And just bringing it all the way back around where I started with the point was today. Now I'm seeing my point was Republicans thought they had they had sort of um, split the baby by being having a faux layer of concern for Ford. Right. Hold on. Be having a right. faux layer of concern and saying, we understand she's been through something terrible. We're, we're, you know, we're not impugning her character. She's credible. But this poor guy, Kavanaugh, this is, he didn't do it. And, it, but they just can't help themselves. And you know what yeah. I see? This lady from the Federalist today starts saying, oh, you know what some digging is going to reveal? Uh, Miss Ford really liked to, to party and sleep around in college. Okay. Yeah. And? And? And even if that's true, which knowing coming from them, it's probably like a different Christine Ford or something stupid like that. Who cares? No, but probably hold not. on, hold on. But even Who if it's cares? if it's a hundred percent true, so fucking what? Who cares? Who cares if she was th- that way in high school or in middle school? No, it doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with what happened that night. You don't get to slut shame your way out of attempted rape. <laughs> no. Well, in courtrooms you do, unfortunately. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but my point was this. They, they seemingly, you know, it was on the tip of their tongue and you know they were holding themselves back. Yeah. Like the Fox News and they, they had to fire a guy because actually they had a commentator after this who did start yelling that Christy, Christine Floyd and all the accusers were sluts and he got fired. Because you can't say that out loud. You can no. just dog whistle. But 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 you know, even like the senators, they're and, chomping at the fucking and their bit. Aides and Sean Hannity, like they're trying. They got they want to yell slut, slut, slut. That's what they want to yell, right. right? Lying slut. Yeah. And th- they seemingly almost got away with not going that far and splitting the baby. And then they'll have this little the little week long investigation. It might not turn up any, anything that causes him to have to be withdrawn and they'll be okay and they'll survive and they'll get him on the court. But now they, they can't help themselves. Right. They can't. It's right. just, it's just cut. Now it's coming out. It, it's coming out like, like you have food poisoning and you're holding everything in and, but eventually All of a it's going to come you're out. You're just puking and shitting it, everywhere because out. it can't, you it can't, can't help hold it. it back. And that is what's happening. The slut shaming of Christine Ford has begun. So be ready for it. And, and that's tough and that's gross, but oh boy, is it exposing what's really, how they really feel about this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course it's just red meat for their, sh- their shitty, disgusting base. Yep. But that was what they're trying to say. Well, Christine Ford, it turns out was a big drunk slut in college. So she must be lying about this or who cares if, she, if, Brett Kavanaugh held her down and held her mouth closed because she was a slut anyway. Mm-hmm. Now think about that for a second, right? Did Christine Blasey Ford get up there and say, I had a chastity belt and I never had a sip of alcohol and no. I just, I was a virgin till I was 30 and I, I wanted to be a nun and I just, I I was good friends the with orphanage. the girls and the boys. Yeah. No, no. Who did that? <laughs> Brett Kavanaugh did right. that shit. She never did that no, shit. No, she said, I had a beer. I went upstairs to use the bathroom. I got out of the bathroom and I got pushed into a fucking room and the door got locked behind me. And I, oh, by the way, why didn't I tell? Because I didn't want my parents to know I was at a party drinking with boys. I was 15. Yeah. And I went to an all girls Catholic school and I didn't want my parents to know that like I would was that kind of person. I, I, I 
they would think it was my fault. Makes sense to me, right? She never said I wore a purity ring and I was saving I, myself. Somebody for the Lord. grabbed me from the bushes and it was Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. No. No. I went to a fucking party when I was 15 with boys because I went to an all girls school and that's what you fucking do. You go where their boys are. Yes. And then I had a beer because that's what you fucking do. You have a beer. And then I got shoved into a room and a hand placed over my mouth and clothes ripped off of my body. And it was really fortunate that we had been at the country club earlier in the day because I had a one piece swimsuit on Mm -hmm. under my clothes. So he couldn't quite get at me. And then the bed toppled over. I ran into the bathroom and I, I mean, there is no part of her story I don't believe. No, it is all 100% 100%, plausible. A thousand percent that happened. Yeah. A thousand percent that happened. Yeah. His, his though. Oh no. I didn't drink beer though. <laughs> I'd have I, one beer. Well, I'd have one beer and I'd puke because I have a really big stomach. Oh, you said you I were, in the, uh, you were in the Upchuck Club because you puked from drinking so much and you bragged about it like a dumbass high school boy. No, well, I just have a really weak stomach, so... You know, I, I like to imagine like he had a sip of O'Doul's and then... The Devil's Triangle. Pro- projectile vomit and talk Devil's about Triangle's the- what? <laughs> to, to him, it's a drinking game. If he thinks it's a drinking game, he was doing Devil's Triangle all wrong. Let me tell you from experience. Drinking game, but he didn't say that, though. He gave some other explanation. No, no, he said it was a drinking game. But he didn't drink. I mean, the, the oh, number there's of your problem. perjury accounts that happened to this man, right? You're either the squire boy who just was good friends with all the girls on boys. Never drank. Never mm-hmm. did anything on Fox News, no, right? Just Never practiced did anything. his basketball shots. Practiced his shot. basketball shots that's, in the, the basketball all. ring with Ted Cruz. <laughs> Never drank because he just had a bad stomach. Never drank more than like one beer. And you know, that Renata... She was just, she was just inspira- her good friend. She was an inspiration to us. Yeah, the Renata which is why just we means created the. We, right. we all really respected her. She was an inspiration to us. Oh my god! Oh my it's god! Fucking perjury. It, it's stu- though it's, it's stupid perjury, perjury though. It's, all of it. It's stupid perjury. Yes. Because nobody believes Why don't you just come that? out and be like George W. Bush? Yeah. And I be was, like, dude, I was, I was a a kind up. of a cokehead and kind of a drunk. And I fucked a lot of things up. And I found Jesus. And then I found Jesus and like, I'm better now. And everyone was like, sounds good to me. Yeah. This guy's like, dude, no. No, I was, I was an, no. always an angel and Nobody a fucking boy. believes that shit. And I helped nobody. old ladies across the street. And you're making up these ideas about like, oh, this is what that meant. Like, everybody fucking knows what that meant. You're just lying. Yeah. You're just lying. Right? So if you're lying about that, you're lying about you're everything. lying about everything. Can I just posit that having had an ex who you routinely got blackout drunk and would forget all terrible things she did, <laughs> it is entirely possible he was blackout drunk that night and does not remember what he did. Now totally. The, now the difference is my ex will acknowledge when I tell her you did this, that, and the other thing. Like shit, oh, shit. I don't remember, but that's possible. Right. But like he refuses to. He own doesn't it. even acknowledge he drank a beer in <laughs> high school. Yeah. I didn't even drink a beer. You can at least be like, yo, I was a fucking asshole. I, was, I, drank I was a 17 year old asshole who drank too much because that was the culture I, of I, our prep yeah. school and that was the culture of where we grew up and I was a fucking shitty person and, and I maybe still that managed happened. To get good grades, and I still managed to get grades. So did I. But then I matured and I'm better now. But look, but I, I never was a rapist. It's like, you know what? That might have been a little that plausible. That would be plausible. Yeah. 
denying that you ever had a beer and you've never drank in your entire life and you helped old ladies all the time and just good boyfriends to girls and boys is so unlikely. And volunteered at the shelter and just like... Maybe he did all that too, but like that doesn't mean that you didn't fucking get blackout drunk and fucking try to rape Christine Blasey Ford. No, no. He just tried to paint himself as like a a priest in, in training. Right. And that's just so unlikely. Like it's just so unbelievable. Right, it's not true from firsthand accounts. And everybody's like, "No, that's not how it was." Everybody was drunk all the time. Yeah, and his best running buddy has been in rehab like twenty five times, and they were best friends. Right, everybody's like, "No, I was just really drunk all the time. It was really bad. It was just a fucking weird thing. That's what happened for sure." He was an obnoxious, entitled, rich, white party boy, and And then he gets on the stand. Yeah, right, and he starts yelling, (laughs) yelling, and sobbing, and yelling some more. And I'm like, if this was he's like sober, I don't want to know what he's like drunk. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Just In front imagine. of the fucking Senate Judiciary he's, Committee, you're yelling sober. like that? Sober? How dare you tell me no? I don't want to know what that guy looks like drunk, but it sounds like all accounts are probably fucking true. Yeah. So we, we warned you last week that this next week was going to be crazy. And oh boy, were we right. And it was difficult. It still is difficult. It still is ugly. It still is, uh, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But this guy's going to get confirmed. I I, I think the odds are that, yeah, he is going to get confirmed. Yep. You know, especially now with their own base and their own people in the Senate, they've sort of laid down this gauntlet like, oh, it's a big conspiracy, and then any other things that come out of the woodwork, because they know there's more that's coming out this of week, course. is all part of this conspiracy. Right. And so they believe that. And they're the ones with the votes, so it doesn't matter how credible any of the evidence is that comes forward. It really doesn't right. matter what the FBI says either. And the no. FBI, whatever they say, you know, they're going to set it up to say, well, the FBI just makes these recommendations. We don't necessarily believe them. James it's Comey not- and Hillary emails, the <laughs> FBI is not really credible anyway, so who fucking cares? Blah, 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 yeah, blah, yeah. blah. I mean, whatever this guy's it is, getting they're going to confirm Right? Let's just be real about that. No, yeah. That's yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah. That- and I'm glad that we get to wait, because how many more women are going to come out? I don't know. It's a fucking whole week. Or, it's been like in three days. Or more corroborating witnesses right? for the women who already have come out. Remember, right. four on the record names I mean, that we know about. I think about. a couple weeks ago, you and I posited this Dr. Ford person wouldn't be the only one. Yeah. It's not like you just it's never push a woman into a room, turn the music up, put your fucking hand over her face and try to rip her clothes off and you're like, thing, oh, right? it's a one-time thing. That's definitely not my personality. Bleh. Right? We posited that that was true. So we're... How many more women, though? Right? We're we're out of time as far as net roots. Did you want to keep going for for non for oh our other people? No. I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> I love you all, but please, like you know, here's some advice we can give. Let me a little self care. Yeah. Maybe take a day or two. Yeah. Maybe unplug from Twitter. Not that we are going to, because we're not capable. Maybe Rachel will. I, I took, I'm not capable. I took a little time. I don't know. I might take some time off. <laughs> to but. have a little self-care. Take care of yourself. There's plenty of battles to be fought, and we are going to fight them. And just know you're not alone. You're not. You, right now, if you are incredibly angry and sad and frustrated and, and scared and reliving trauma, so everybody in my life has been telling me the same thing. And I'm just a guy who knows a few people. And multiply that by millions and millions and millions and... And, you know, if you guys need to reach out to somebody, 
Because, like, you don't feel like you can tell anybody or you don't feel like anybody will believe you or anybody would care. I fucking believe you. And I fucking care. And if you just need to, like, say it to something, right? Some voice in the void, you can say it to me. You can email me and I will listen to you and I will believe you. And if that's the first step, I'm happy to be there for that. Um, I hope that if people out there are suffering and this has been a really fucking triggering week, like there, there's a lot of spaces that you can go to. There's therapy, there's all kinds of things, but if you have nothing else and you just need to fucking tell somebody something like I'll hold that for you, you can email us and I, I will hold that for you and I will believe you and we can work from there, but don't feel like you're alone. Irreverent testimony at gmail.com at irreverent duo. Uh, Rachel's own uh, personal Twitter is at Mad Madam Mim. Uh, or anything you just send to the Irreverent Testimony, I'll just forward to her. Yeah. So you, you guys are not alone. And yeah. we love you. And I know it's fucking hard right now. And just like, no, you're not alone. We're with you. And it fucking sucks. All right. Stay active. Stay tuned. Stay involved. More than ever, we're getting close to Election Day. And we're going to tell you about how you can help register people, get people out to vote, all that stuff. So here we go. And we're coming down to the wire. So some self-care, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye.